0: We come, we're, we're making our way toward the end of Jesus' famous Sermon on the ba- Mount and also the end of our series, Living in the Red. Uh, in other words, we went through the Bible, and many of you have Bibles where every time Jesus spoke it came in red letters. And so we're not encouraging you to live in great amounts of debt, uh, either corporately or individually. We're encouraging you to live in debt to the Lord our Savior and to live out the words He's taught us. Uh, Donnie, I need to ask you a favor. Would you try to restart my... Uh, my keynote because I'm not getting anything here. And so I've got to ask for some help. But if I were to walk around this room and ask everybody, should we pray? Probably Christian and non-Christian alike, anybody of any faith or no faith at all, somehow feels like this idea of prayer is a good one. Uh, Why do I say that? Because I watch things like American football and when somebody scores a touchdown, most of them, I don't believe, follow Jesus Christ in their everyday lives, but they're sure thankful when they scored and got that extra $2 million. So they praise God and pray pray to him then. Or whenever bad things happen, like major catastrophes, have you noticed what happens in church? Attendance goes up. So in certain times, in certain situations, many people feel what... Uh, what uh, uh, pascal called the god-shaped hole but more often than not we spend our time covering up our need for god and so when i ask you tell me about your prayer life how's it going many people say you know i find it really hard to pray and i want to stand here before you and say you know what so do i sometimes you're not alone But I think often we in the church feel we have to be spiritual giants to have a healthy and proper prayer life. Why do I know this to be true? Well, because if you flip to the parallel passage in Luke chapter 11, the disciples look at Jesus. They've gotten to watch him pray and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. We don't know how to do it. We don't know how you have this amazing connection with God. But we need your help. And I think we can all relate to that. I know prayer is talked about all the time in pop culture. For instance, if you grew up in the 90s like I did, there was a famous, wonderful poet. His name was M.C. Hammer. Does anybody remember M.C. Hammer? He sang such wonderful philosophical songs as You Can't Touch This and Too... I can't do the words right, but Too Legit to Quit was... there's a. Motion to go with that. But he also told us, rightly, that you have to pray just to make it today. And most of us in this building would probably say, yeah, well then, how do we pray? When do we pray? And what does that look like? Jesus loved us enough to teach us. And that's what we find in Matthew chapter 6. And this is how he starts. He says, and when you pray, and let's stop there for a second. Should we pray? Yes, Yes, absolutely. I'm going to go over here and switch to plan B. Uh, My iPad isn't cooperating today. When you pray. That doesn't mean if, right? We talked about that last week in the idea of when you give. In the same way, Jesus doesn't give us this option of when we pray. It's always. We pray now. When you pray. Pray. This is a a time constraint placed on us. In other words, in all situations, good and bad, we should pray. Uh, We're also told things like pray without ceasing. And, sorry, we're a little ahead. There we go. Sorry, I'm flustered now. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. What happened is in, in the time around when the Pharisees were walking around and Jesus was training up the disciples, the Pharisees would go out to street corners and they would pray loudly, longly, and eloquently. And they sounded fancy. If, if you opened up like the book the men's ministry is going through, this book, uh, Bible Doctrine, and you used every big theology term in the book, That was their prayers. Did most people understand what they were praying? No, but they sounded holy. So that must mean God heard them. And you know, 2,000 years later, the church has unintentionally kind of adopted this perspective that if we sound really good, God must be more pleased with us. So if we use all the what some call Christianese, all the words that sound really Christian, that makes our prayers better. So if we throw in sanctification, justification, regeneration, and every other shun we can think of, and we do it all with these and thous and thines and, and everything else from the King James that we can remember, that that's a better prayer. Right? In our minds, sometimes we think that. And I, I, I have to confess to you. We also sometimes get into these prayer modes where we feel like if while we're praying we can give some people a piece of our mind called the preaching prayer, we do that too. Lord, please help them to see their error of their ways. Lord, please help them to realize they're acting foolishly right now. No, what we're praying is help us tell them, but we don't have the courage to, so we're doing it in prayer form. And I confess I've done that a time or two myself not what jesus says and says in fact jesus says get away from these pharisaical these hypocritical these putting on a mask of someone you're not that's what it means to be a hypocrite trying to be someone you're not get away from that idea and get down to the heart of god so he says when you pray don't be like the hypocrites they stand out in public and they go nuts so how should we then pray well It starts by understanding that it's not about how others see us pray. In fact, if you go back to the Old Testament, remember Daniel? Daniel would go up to his room. He would lock the door and he would look out the window and he would pray to his heavenly father, knowing full well that if someone saw him praying in the window, that he would be thrown in the lion's den, which is what happened. He was set up to do just that. But Jesus teaches us when you pray, go not out into the middle of everywhere so everybody can see. We don't need a prayer mat and we don't need to face a certain direction. Instead, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. That's an interesting thing because it goes against the face of sometimes what we understand about prayer because we feel like maybe we should pray at church and we prayed the Lord's prayer today, so I'm all prayed up. Well, great. It's good to recite certain prayers over and over again. Um, But in this case, if I were to ask you, how do you feel your relationship with the Lord is right now? Many people say it's struggling. I don't feel very close to him. I feel he's distant. I, I don't feel he knows what I'm going through. I'll often ask you the question, so if you come to me and tell me this, know that this question usually comes next. Well, tell me about your time with the Lord. And usually the answer that follows is, I'm too busy. Well, I haven't really spent a lot of time with him. Some of you as a kid, and hopefully still, had some really great friends, right? Right? You know, if you you grew up in places where there was open space, you would run around and if you were like me, you would get lost in the woods for the whole day uh, until the sun started going down. Then you knew you had to run back before mom came looking and yelling. Uh, But you made these great friendships by being with them, right? And you got to know them and you knew everything about them. But over time, those friendships sort of faded, right? What happens Why do friendships fade over time sometimes? I already gave you the answer. You stop spending as much time with them. For men, sometimes it means we got married. And our attention is focused on a much better looking half. That's a good thing. That's not bad. But over time or distance, the relationship isn't as strong as it once was. And somehow we think that that should be okay in our relationship with the Lord as well. That over time, you know, he knows what I'm going through. In fact, he tells me this in Matthew 6. My God knows all my needs. Well, that is true. (laughs) But Jesus says when you pray as an act of doing it consistently, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who's in secret. You can't see him. Nobody else is around looking and watching to make sure you use the right words or if you prayed a scripture, you gave the right reference to go with it. You're not being graded on your prayer. You're enjoying a relationship with someone that loves you forever. How do I know this? It's how we started the service. Give thanks to our God. His love endures forever. I know my God loves me. Why wouldn't I want to spend time with him? And that's how Jesus introduces us to this concept of prayer by giving us the how and the when. Don't go out in the middle of everywhere and say, look at me! Instead, go into your room. He doesn't say get on your knees. Some of us, as we age, that becomes harder and harder to do. But he says, get into a place where your posture is focused alone on God. And then, where do we go from there? And then we begin to pray, You see, Jesus, before he even teaches us how to pray, he gives us the understanding that prayer is relational, that it's about connecting with a real person. God is bigger than just humanity, but he still loves us, hears us, and communicates with us. And one of the things that I've learned as I've walked through this prayer, preparing for this message, is it's amazing the words Jesus chose to use here. And I've been saying this prayer since I was little. But I hadn't thought about everything that goes with it. But let's look very carefully at this first phrase. We all know it. Our Father in heaven. Say that with me. Our Father in heaven. Usually we say that part to get to the part we want to. Which comes later. The stuff like, give me. (laughs) But actually that comes much later here. Let's think about this for a second. First... Jesus chose to use a word that wasn't traditionally used when referring to God. He chose here to use something that most people credit Paul for really adopting in Romans 9. He uses the phrase, Our Father, Abba. Now, There's different thoughts on what Abba meant back then, but essentially it meant daddy. It meant a tender, compassionate, loving relationship with your father. It meant more than the just domineering, power-mongering father that just told you what to do and then left the room. This was a picture of almost visually crawling up into the lap of God And cuddling up with him, knowing that his loving embrace is right around you because you're his child and he loves you as one of his own. So he invites us when we pray to begin there. To begin with the identity of our Abba, our Daddy, our Father. In other words, he's accessible. You hear me say often this concept that in following Jesus Christ... God is accessible to all humanity. Every other religion teaches us we have to earn or make our way to him. In Jesus, God came down and says, Here I am. Talk to me. I'm your father. And I'm here, ready for you. You crawl in to the arms of your daddy. Now, I know when I talk about fathers, as I I said last week, that can bring all sorts of baggage of, you know, my dad was a terrible dad, my dad was non-present, this, that. Well, your heavenly father, as we just heard, will never leave us nor forsake us. Your heavenly father shall supply all your needs according to his glorious riches. Your heavenly father is watching over you. He who watches over you will neither slumber nor sleep. He is present always. Your heavenly father never hits, if you grab your phone and click the ignore, he doesn't ignore your phone call. He may not answer the way you want him to, but he's always, always, always on the line and accessible. And so when we say our father, we start there with a personal God. And some people say that, well, Christians have made God into a teddy bear. Well, it kind of feels like he is snuggly and loving and warm and welcoming like a giant teddy bear. And in one sense, yeah, he is. He's tender, he's compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. These are all things we hear about our God and our King that make me think of a teddy bear. (laughs) That's great. But that's not all of God. Because what comes next? Where is he? He's in heaven. This gives the other side If we approach God with confidence, knowing he is our daddy, if we approach God with loving anticipation of being welcomed in, well, the in heaven part reminds us that he is the Lord of the hosts. He placed the stars and named them one by one. He created the heavens and the earth. He numbered the hairs or lack thereof on your head. He is God, maker of all of us, everything in it, And he is holy and he is sitting on his throne in heaven and should be approached with awe, with fear, and with reverence. And yes, I said fear. He is worthy to be feared. We talk a lot about this in our church because we we don't just say, well, fear means kind of like he's holy. No, we should be afraid of God. He can't look at sin. And if we approach him with sinful lies, we need help. And so not only in these first Four words do we get Theology 101. We get a picture of what prayer really is. It's approaching our loving Father with fear and humility, knowing that he is holy and righteous, and we only are because of what he's done through his Son, Jesus Christ. So there's this automatic wonder there's this automatic recognition of him as we enter into prayer we're trying to teach my children how to pray and i have a a five-year-old and a four-year-old and the nine-year-old has gotten it a little more at least she knows what i want to hear but we try always to start with thanking god for who he is and we go through different attributes to get them into the habit of starting by thinking about god first not us because as I've said, if we look at the historical tradition of what prayer is, prayer is nothing more for most of us, if we really admit it, than a, than a grown-up temper tantrum. God, give me this right now, please. I want this, and I need it now, and I want it, and it's not fair. Now, we might use fancier words. We might do so slowly. But usually, that's why we're, if we stop to pray, and we're really honest with ourselves, that's what we're doing. We're saying, God, give me. And Jesus is teaching us, no, start here. Our Father, he's accessible. He's listening. In heaven, he is holy. Hallowed be your name. Revered be your name. Exalted be your name, the psalmists tell us. Worthy is your name to be praised. In other words, wow, God. You are awesome, amazing, wonderful, stupendous, whatever word you can think of, go one better than that. That's how we start to pray. But if you're like me, sometimes when we start to pray, it's dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Please bless us food and help. Amen. That doesn't feel very personal. It doesn't sound like that kind of prayer is very intimate where I've been invited in to just talk with my daddy. It doesn't sound very reverential like I'm giving him the respect he's due. And I think it goes back to why Jesus tells us to go into the closet, go into your secret prayer closet, your room, your place, wherever that is and get alone with God and be real with him. Because you can approach Him and He is still worthy of our fear and our respect and our reverence and our worship and our adoration. On Wednesday nights, we often pray sentence prayers of adoration. We adore God for who He is. Prayer always starts and finishes with God, not with us. And that's what we see next. It's all about you. Oh, by the way, the you here, not us. The you here is all about God. God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, these are words we don't use a lot today. Now, sometimes we might talk about, how do I know God's will for my life? And again, you know my my stock answer for that. Well, have you spent time in prayer and in the word? Because most of the time it's not a secret. We just don't want to see that. But here, we're looking at this concept of kingdom. Now, I don't get kingdoms much. I I don't live in a country with a history of each person having their own kingdom. We don't live in a time where kingdoms are far and plenty. But here we are, we're asking God for his kingdom to come. Now, why is that significant? Because what was one of the major themes Jesus spoke about while he was on earth? The kingdom of heaven. He was talking again that the kingdom of heaven is both here and coming. In other words, Jesus, the full representation of the kingdom and the fullness of God, is here with us. His plan of salvation, God's plan of salvation is made, here's a fancy Christian word, made manifest made present through God coming to earth as a man, the kingdom has come down, but it has not yet been completed because in the end times there will be a new heaven and there will be a new earth and things will be made right again. And it will be the fulfillment of the beginning of time, the promise that God had given us. So when we pray your kingdom come, what we're doing is we're saying, God, make sense out of this mess both now and forever. Because it's all about you, God. I can't do it. Your will be done. That's a declaration of surrender. I give up, Lord. I'm going to do your way. I'm going to do things the way you've laid out. I'm going to do things that I know to be true and consistent here. I'm going to follow you like I said I would, because it's about you. When we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what we are ultimately saying is, God, yeah, I trust that your ways are better than my ways. I'm looking forward to eternity when I am completely glorified and made new because I need it. But while on earth, I'm going to do things your way to the best of my ability. I'm going to obey you. I'm not going to fight for my own rights. I'm going to fight that people may see you in me. When we ask God for his will to be done, we're giving him control and saying, here I am. Again, with cheesy songs, I think, I can't remember her name, but one country singer, I can't believe I'm going to say this, saying, Jesus Take the Wheel, Carrie Underwood, somebody knows that. Anyway, editorials aside, do we give the Lord control of our life? Do we say, Lord, I'll go where you lead me. I'll make decisions that honor you, not just that expand my kingdom here on earth. We talked about generosity last week, giving to the needy. Well, those things come into play because if we're so focused on our own needs, if we're so focused on our own wants and our own desires, how can we be the church, the people, the covenant people of God that he's made us to be, therefore being light to the world? Well, it starts with this prayer. God, help me do your will, do your best in my life, because his best is far greater than mine. So when we pray, our Father, we get up next to him, we sit down with him, and we talk. And when we say, in heaven, we say, oh Lord, I'm not worthy, I am a man of unclean lips, Isaiah 6 hallowed be your name. God, you are so worthy of more praise than I could ever give, but thank you that I can talk to you. Are we ever grateful that we get to talk with God? And then we go, your kingdom come, Lord, come now. Because I know that things are only going to get better when you return. Now, there will be trials and tribulations of many kinds. Trust me, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. But when it's complete... When Jesus returns, when the new heavens and the new earth are restored, we will be in eternity where there will be no more tears, no more grief, no more sadness. We will look in the face of God and we'll do so as pure and spotless and made right. Our bodies will work the way they were intended to work and there will be no sin. I can't wait. But while I'm here, Lord, do your will. Use me to let the world see you at work. Use me to make disciples of all nations and please don't let my own agenda get in the way. That's what you're praying. So when we say those words, your kingdom come, your will be done, they are serious. They are not little soft words. They're like, Lord, as we sing the song, take my life and let it be holy and pleasing, Lord to thee. Ah, And then he goes on. Now, this is the part usually we jump straight to. If you want to use the fancy Christianese term, this is where we get to that idea of supplication. It's a fancy way of saying prayers for things, prayers for specific needs and whatnot. And so what we do here, what we see, is give us today our daily bread. Let's stop there. Now, if you're on the the, the wheat belly or the gluten-free diet, you can include some other type of non-bread food there. It's okay. Uh, whichever diet you are, the idea is provision. The interesting thing here is when Jesus is teaching to pray, give us today our daily bread, we're also thanking him that he is our provider. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. His strength is sufficient to meet all my needs. We know that God can provide. Well, Mike, what about hunger and thirst in the world? Why are there people dying all over the world of starvation? Good question. I'm glad you asked. Because if we pray this prayer seriously... And if we look just a few verses back, what if God inviting us to pray, give us today our daily bread, also had an action point to it? In other words, I've given you much to whom much is given, much is expected. And out of the plenty that I've given you, why don't you go help other people? Out of the provisions I have given you, look back a couple verses and go meet the needs of those who have nothing. Don't just enjoy what I've given you. God never gives us plenty just for our own good. Never. You don't find that in scripture. He never says, just take it and hoard it. He never says, just take it and lock it in the room. He says, lock yourself in the room and talk to God. But all your stuff, give it away. Help others. So if we pray, give us today our daily bread, we're saying, God, not only provide for me, but use me not only give me what I need. So again, we're moving away from the me, me, me prayer. We're saying, God, please give me the chance to use what you've given me to bless others. Please allow my life to be a blessing to others. (laughs) And he doesn't stop. In case so far it was easy and you've aced the test. By the way, if you haven't noticed... Jesus' very short and simple prayer, the people's prayer is probably a better way to look at it, is a really good summation of the Sermon on the Mount up to this point, isn't it? Submission to the Lord, caring for others, giving glory to God, following his great name. Forgive us our debts. You can easily replace, if debts has negative connotation, which it always does, you can replace that with sins, many translations have so we're asking god to forgive us and what's that look like well one amazingly this is the act of confession this is something that again we humans might not naturally tend to do and you've you've heard me talk about this before usually in the context of marriage but it's these three words i was wrong how often do we get in the habit of saying i was wrong it's not natural nor is it natural for us to go to God and say, forgive me for what I have done. Because I don't care who you are. You are a sinful creature just like me. And none of us wants to look at the filth we've allowed to infect our lives. None of us wants to have to look back on that and admit I'm wrong. I hate it. It's uncomfortable. It's embarrassing. I should know better. You're right, we should but i made that choice and ugh. but here notice jesus hasn't even died yet on the cross and he's inviting the disciples and those listening to come seek god for forgiveness now we know that when Christ went to the cross, when he, his blood was shed for us for the forgiveness of sins and a new covenant was made in his name that all may confess our sins and, be, and he is faithful and just to forgive us and wash us whiter than snow. Many of you are tan, but if you need whiter than snow, just look at me uh, and you, you're sleeping. But he washes us, he cleanses us, he purifies us. And he invites us right here to confess our sins. But he doesn't stop there. Have you ever noticed when you've really entered into a time of confession, how you feel when it's done? It's just like this miraculous, wow. You just feel lighter. John Bunyan wrote the book, The Pilgrim's Progress. And you remember when Pilgrim was able to lay the burden at the cross of Jesus Christ, And he just felt lighter. He was able to walk for the first time and he didn't even remember how long. When we've laid that burden, when we've said, forgive me, you just feel like you're a new creation, which you are. And you feel set free. And you feel, dare I say, even holy, which you are because you've been washed. You've been cleansed by Jesus' blood. And so he's made you pure. He's made God able to shine his face upon you. Because he has made us holy. Because if he's taken our sins, he who knew no sin became sin for us. He took our place so that we can go and we can say, forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins. Oh, but there's one more thing. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Now I'm going to get a lot less popular. So far, this has felt pretty good. You know, oh, this helps. I can think of this. Well, now the rubber meets the road because I grew up a pastor's kid. And I've seen the worst in churches. I've seen people look at me and look at each other and say, there's no way I could ever forgive you. Two years after we moved here, uh, my sending church full of people I love went viral against each other. All because of style of music and leadership style. And I, I no need to go into the... the who's right and wrong because at the end nobody was right everybody was wrong and we have to trust that god can pick up the pieces but the church split and thanks to the wonders of things like facebook i heard things said about people by christians that just broke my heart that was christians talking against christians and i've heard i can't tell you the number of times there's no way i could forgive them for that i hear that often well okay okay Let's, let's go ahead and follow that theology for a minute and see what else Jesus has to say. Well, forgive us our sins as we also already have forgiven those that have sinned against us is one translation. doesn't seem to be optional there, does it? No, it's, it's not optional. The idea of forgiveness is never optional. Jesus told Peter, how many times should you forgive? It's not 490. You don't get to keep track, by the way. 70 times 7. Don't do the math. That's not the point. Seven was God's chosen number, and so it was an example of a lot. Interestingly, Jesus feels the need at the end of the prayer to say this. If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you. Does that mean if I haven't forgiven, I'll lose my salvation? No, that's not what he's saying. But the expectation is very clear. Don't you dare come to God and ask his forgiveness if you're not willing to give away the same grace he's given you. Is that clear? God, in his richness, in the enduring love that lasts forever, looked at me and my filth and my junk and the embarrassment that I have been to him. And because of the work Jesus Christ did, he said, you are forgiven. You don't have to pay your debt. It's paid off. You're free to go. I paid it. Now, if I turn around and Jesus tells the story, if I turn around and look at you and just blast you and saying, you're not worthy. You don't deserve my love. You don't deserve my forgiveness. All I'm doing is playing God. I'm saying to whoever's listening that God didn't mean what he said here and that I don't believe in grace. So if we can't say the second part of the forgiveness part of this Lord's Prayer. We have no business getting to the first. Now, if I've said that and you're thinking to yourself, wow, I haven't forgiven others, you confess that to the Lord too and you begin to let him shape you and refine you and change you and transform you, saying, God, help me. I can't forgive on my own because some horrible things have happened to you. I have no doubt. And you're right. On your own, I've heard some of your stories and I'm with you. On your own, you can't. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. And then John taught us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And if God can do that for us, we who've nailed him to the cross, We can do that for others through the empowerment and the love of God. Not on our own. I'm not asking you to do it on your own. I'm inviting you back up to that posture of submission we talked about a minute ago. Of your will be done. His will is for us to forgive. Not get justice. Justice is the Lord's. Revenge is mine, saith the Lord. There, I said saith. Sounds holier, doesn't it? One more thing and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. James teaches us that God does not tempt us. Okay? So what are we really asking here? If God doesn't tempt us, what's Jesus praying? Well, pretty simple. Lord, don't let temptation conquer us. Give us the strength. He's praying what Paul echoes in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is... Faithful, I love that. He's faithful. If you're faithful, it means you never fail. God never fails. You can add that there. It works in the Greek. And God never fails. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Good job, some of you. The rest of you keep practicing. So what that means, simply is, God, I know I'm going to be tempted. The the, the translation in the English is a tough one, I know. But we know we're going to be tempted. Satan is trying to make us fall all the time. But Lord, give us the victory. Faith is the victory. We're praying for God to help. God, help us. I can't do it on my own. Deliver me. Give me a way out. And he has for all eternity through Jesus Christ. Right? Isn't that amazing? So when you pray, by the way, some of you are wondering why I said we stop here and if you open up your Bible, it doesn't have for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen? I'll tell you why in a minute. But when we stop here, have you noticed what we've done? We have worshiped our tender and compassionate and mighty and holy God. We've said, my life is yours, God. Please give me the resources to be your chosen disciple. Give me the tools needed to live the life you've called me to live. But God, yeah, I've sinned. Please forgive me. And I will keep on forgiving others and showing them your light and your love that you've given me. I don't deserve it, but I'm going to give it away freely because you first gave it to me. And Lord, I know there's temptation out there. Give me the courage and the strength to stand up under it and to be different, to not fall into the pattern of temptation and addiction, but instead, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, empower me to live victoriously, delivered from the evil one. And then some old manuscripts added, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That comes out of Second Chronicles, but likely Jesus didn't say it in this setting. But what happened is early church scribes felt that this needed a benediction. So Mike then is the question, well, can I say it because it's not officially in the Bible? Absolutely. Why wouldn't we want God to be given the glory and the power and forever? Amen. I have no problem. Is it straight in the Bible? Likely not. But we can still say for yours, God, it's all yours. Yours is the kingdom. We've already prayed it anyway. Yours is the glory. We've already prayed it anyway. And the power forever. Amen. And then just don't forget that Jesus didn't stop there. In that same setting, he again circles back around to forgiveness. He said, if I've forgiven you, I'm flipping it. But if you won't forgive, why why should I forgive you? So let's flip it. We are recipients of the amazing grace of our God and King through his son, Jesus Christ. Why shouldn't we Let others know they can be forgiven and and set free, and we start with ourselves. Sometimes all it takes is a simple act of, I was wrong. You've heard me use the example before of the movie Home Alone, the very end of the movie when Kevin invites the broken old man who hasn't seen his granddaughter in years to call his son and fix the broken relationship. If we can't forgive we've missed what grace is. Last week, we we used a quote, and um, I'm not going to get to it today, but basically, grace is most visible when we are a generous people. Grace is also most visible when we are a praying people. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you taught us to pray. Thank you that you taught us it's all about you. Help us to be a prayerful people, to know that we can bring everything to you, that you hear us. Lord, may we go into that room and pray our hearts out. In your name, amen.